Michael Mawale for the win. Alike Okunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one man. championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. Large. Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. Welcome to this edition of All In, a women's sports podcast here on WFUV Sports. I'm Maddie Bamonte, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Taylor Massetta and Samantha Bohr. Guys, Thanksgiving break is kind of coming to a close. How was your Thanksgiving? You know, my Thanksgiving was anticlimactic, to say the least. I had the flu, and so I couldn't go home, which kind of sucked. So it was just me in my little bed for five days, um, you know, shaking with a fever. But now we're kicking. We're doing great. But, you know, it was a nice break regardless. Nice break. I've had quite a break. When I tell you I think I watched like 10 straight hours of football on Thanksgiving. Oh, man. Everyone, because first of all, very happy the Cowboys won to the dismay of my entire friend group. Oh, hey, come on. I was excited. And then, guys, the Egg Bowl is actually way more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Between Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I was enthralled for like an hour and a half because you could just tell the teams just hate each other. But um, the Egg yeah, Bowl so- is such a good name. Like, it's Egg Bowl is perfect. Funny. The trophy is just a big golden egg. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, awesome. You, you can't get better than that in the state of Mississippi. Um, So that was entertaining. Then I watched, oh my God. I think I've spent like $250 Black Friday shopping. It's my hard-earned money. And I think I just overhauled my entire makeup collection by accident. But it needed to be done. But I mean, I have one more thing on the schedule today that is going to determine how the rest of my 2022 goes. Michigan needs to beat Ohio State. And if they don't, I'm actually going to be depressed for like a month and a half. Taylor is the biggest. It'll be interesting. It'll be a game. Um, but enough about, enough about men's sports. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. We'll talk about women's <laughs> sports. And one woman's sport women. just wrapped up their cross-country championships for the NCAA. And my hometown team, the NC State Wolfpack, took that one with ease. They were out there killing it, led oh. by Amy Dewey, the sophomore, who wins this entire thing on just One of the best runs I've seen in a while. She takes on her competitor, Parker Valby, from Florida. It was a dead race for so long, and it was honestly so interesting to watch. And Tui just looked incredible out there. The rest of her team going 2, 13, and 24. That team really couldn't have had a better race. But Taylor, what can you tell us kind of about this race? I got to walk you through it because... My team, we were we had practice like an hour away from campus and we were taking the van rides back. And when I tell you, we were screeching the entire van ride back, just like cheering because it was like one of the craziest races I've like ever seen in my life. 
So let me say, let me set the stage. So the course at Oklahoma State is known to be one of the hardest in America. It's like completely uphill. It's it looks absolutely brutal. See, I would just probably like start like curling up in a ball and die if I saw that hill during a race. So and it was like less than 20 degrees that day. So they're running in the like cold. So at the beginning of the race, basically, Parker Valby, this girl put up such a fight. It was like one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. So she runs for Florida. And I saw a lot of people counting her out before the race. They were like, oh, she trains in Florida. It's so flat there. It's so hot. She's just not going to do well. And I was like, if anyone was going to challenge Tui, it was going to be her. So the pack runs together for like, so it's a 6K race. So that's about like 3.7 miles. So for the first like kilometer, like they all like stuck together. And then Valby just starts stretching this massive gap on the rest of the field so she like by like two kilometers she was leading by like about like three seconds then by 4k her her lead was over 10 seconds it, it was like approximately like 11.8 like we were watching it and she was like so ridiculously far ahead i could not believe it like the way the camera was angled you couldn't even see the chase pack but like the, you know what's like the craziest part about all this though the entire time you see this massive lead you see how far ahead valby is you just knew Caitlin Tui was going to catch her. Like, I kept saying that Caitlin Tui looked like a shark in the water for the last, like, portion of that race. Like, so she started stretching out away from the chase pack, like, about, like, almost near the end of the race and starts hunting down Valby. And just, like, every single time, like, the camera, like, changed, Tui was closer and just getting closer and closer and closer. And she's just closing this gap at such a ridiculous speed. And Tui's from New York, so she's used to the cold. She's used to the hills. And she just closes the gap like it's nothing, blows par- blows past Parker Valby, who she still looked super strong, but yeah, she did look a little tired. She took it out from the gun. I think she was trying to outrun Tui, but like Tui kind of knew what she was doing. And then Kaitlyn Tui just goes, blows the race out of the wall. She looked incredible. I think she ran a course record. It it was absolutely insane. So for her final time, it was 19.27 for 6K, which is like... If you break 20, that's just absolutely insane. Yeah, I I personally am not not a running type of human. Um, If you were to ask, if you were to see me to run, you should run too, because that means something bad is coming. Um, I, I don't usually do it unprovoked, except for once a year when I go, oh my God, I can run. No, I can't. No, I absolutely can't. Um, I'm not built like Miss Taylor Massetta or like either of the two amazing athletes we were just mentioning. So like, I guess, Taylor, the thing that shocked me the most when like watching the the highlights of this race and reading up on it was that Tui was able to close that like 10 plus second gap. And I mean, how uncommon is that for someone to actually be able to bounce back from that? Like she, I mean, she's not a normal person. We know that she's one of the best in the game, but how uncommon is that for someone to actually be able to close that 11.6 second gap and then win, not even just get close? Like with that, it depends. With what Tui did, that is so rare. Like, that is just, like, a a once-in-a-generational talent, seeing what they do. Occasionally, when, like, a person, like, goes out ridiculously hard, they'll die off and, like, fade and start running slower. Valby really didn't do that. She was still, like, moving. She was still going fast. Just Tui was going faster. So, like, that's, I think, just what is so crazy about, like, both of their performances. Like, I, I just closing a gap that, like, 
I've been in that position. And if you see someone that far ahead, it is hard to like get close that gap, like mentally and physically. Like sometimes, like especially after running like what, like 4K of hills, like that is just that is so taxing on her body. So the fact that she was able to just close that gap like it was absolutely nothing was insanity. And I'm so excited to see Caitlin Tui on the track this year because I feel like a lot of the collegiate records are going to go down. Like the 1500 is in her sights. I think she can do it. Taylor, I think one of the other interesting things that I took away from seeing the top individual results is it really was dominated by the sophomores and juniors with even a couple of freshmen making into that top 15 in sixth and seventh place. Is there kind of a hill that you have to reach once you get towards your senior year that can greatly impact how your speed is, how you're running? Caitlin Tui only being a sophomore and she's putting up what she's doing now. Do you think she could ever regress or is it kind of, you know, the sky's the limit for her. Well, I think what's a lot really interesting about a lot of these teams is that these are these grades are actually a year behind because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Caitlin Tui is technically a junior, but she registers as a sophomore. So a lot of these girls have like a year of extra like um training under their belt. I'm a firm believer in you being a lot stronger, like your senior year compared to your freshman year. Like speaking from experience, I feel like a much stronger runner because I've gotten used to the training. I've gotten used to the coaching like later on in my running career. So I think that's what's happening with a lot of these girls. But like there is a true freshman in this race. It was Natalie Cook. She runs for Oklahoma State. She was like absolutely insane in high school. I think she has the number two 5K of all time, high school 5K all time in America. So she got seventh, which is pretty crazy if you think about it for like a true freshman like she just rolls into Oklahoma State and she's already killing it um but I don't like see like sometimes you can see a lot of these freshmen like peak really early and then they just completely spiral and then you don't really hear much about them but or they might just keep getting ridiculously better I think Tui had a very good um like she got introduced in the track like really really well because her freshman year you didn't really hear too much about her like she was I think she was battling some injuries she only raced a couple times and then she just came out absolutely swinging last year so I think it's like slow and steady kind of wins the race with college training like you could be really good at the beginning no problem but like if you kind of just like let yourself like get adapted to like your coach's style and like you even just your like teammates it really works wonders with like the times that you're running an absolutely amazing race to see. And there's going to be more next season. And it'll be very exciting to keep, keep a lookout for Caitlin Tui in the pack. Um, but we're going to transition now to a slightly more darker topic. Um, more news has come out about Katie Meyer, the Stanford goalie, um, who committed suicide back in May, in March or May of earlier this year. And the story just continues to get worse and worse. Her family has now decided to file a wrongful death lawsuit towards the University of Stanford on Wednesday. Um, at the time of her death, she was facing disciplinary action for allegedly spilling a coffee on a Stanford football player who was accused of sexually assaulting a female soccer player. Uh, Meyer was defending her teammate at the time, according to her parents. And when the school had sent her a disciplinary notice that was six pages long, um, it drastically affected Meyer's health, according to her parents, and that ultimately was a result for why she decided to commit suicide. This is an all-around tragic story just for, at the base level, a young athlete, a young woman losing her life um, to mental health-related issues. And it's really sad to hear, and it's really tough to kind of understand what really was going on in her mind at the time. But what can we kind of 
take away from the story and where do we think this is going to head for the family and also for the university? I mean, I I think that the university is getting themselves into some really hot water here. I mean, already they're already in it, but I think that putting themselves in a position where as more and more details are coming out, it just is seeming as if the language and like the overly punitive nature of this specific instance with their like disciplinary um council or whatever the technical term for it is was such a big contributing factor in her declining mental health and in her eventual decision to commit suicide that there's no way I think the university comes out of this unscathed I don't know if the family will actually win the court case but I don't even know if that matters as much as just the publicity that Stanford's going to be getting for this is going to hurt I mean the football player who was allegedly in quote-unquote allegedly whatever involved in the in, in the coffee incident where she spilled coffee on him he even said like when when the incident occurred he said he's like I don't want any disciplinary action to go against her that's going to impact her mental health or impact her standing as an athlete or her life So even like the football player himself didn't want that. The university is the one pursuing these charges against her. And like, I can't fully understand why or why they serve her with these papers the last day they're legally allowed to because they have to file the um, proceedings against her six months after the incident. And it was the last day before they would have no longer been able to due to the statute of limitations. So I think that there's no way the university doesn't end up in some incredibly hot water for this and face a lot of even more backlash than they are, because this is just showing like these athletes are not just these inhuman creatures. Like these are people. She's a young woman who was fighting to go to law school, who thought her entire life was over due to defending a teammate against an issue where the person who was allegedly the the aggressor and at the football player received zero punishment. And she was, in fact, um, theoretically going to be expelled. So I just think that there's so much in this that makes me upset. And yeah, I mean, Taylor Taylor is making a face right now about like, you can just tell, like, we're all upset about this. This is so ridiculous about every single aspect of it. I'm so unbelievably like angry when i read this like read this account and i i think the first thing that just comes to my mind that just makes me just so mad is the fact that stanford is going through all these lames to defend someone accused of sexual assault of a minor i know the i know it's alleged and everything but you you're telling me you're sending um like a a letter after hours to a soccer player who won you got did she win that i think she won them a national championship yeah sends that letter they threaten expel her for spilling a coffee on a person who god only knows did what to one of her teammates like i know if i heard something like that would happen to like any if any of my teammates were affected by like a like you you know what i mean i would be raging i would be so unbelievably angry and it says volumes about katie's character that she was willing to go and defend her teammate like that and you're telling me that stanford is jumping through all these hoops all these and they're like defending this player that's getting in trouble i just do not understand and you were telling me that this this letter was so threatening like i don't even I, i don't even know what they could have said in there and it must have been bad because it sent her into like a acute stress reaction. And that was what direct like kind of led to her killing herself. And I just I, 
I, I, I just over spilled coffee. You're telling me you wanted to take that many measures over her spilling a coffee on someone. Are you serious? We lost a beautiful person, beautiful soul. She's done so much for that community. Only for Stanford to just like throw it right back in her face. I'm sorry. I'm just this entire story just makes me so angry because it could have been just so unavoidable. Ugh. I think one of the issues with the whole um part on Stanford's fault is that they did this six months after the occurrence. They sent her the letter six months to the day. And it was three months shy of her graduation, threatening her status as a student. She was captain of the soccer team. She was an RA. She was a Mayfield fellow. She was a scholar. She was supposed to go to Stanford Law School. And they were willing to hold her diploma just on a spilled coffee incident that, like you mentioned, the football player didn't even want to press charges on. I just think it's a really disgusting way to treat one of your top athletes at the school for a sport that does so well at Stanford that it was just almost a vindictive act on the school's part to do this three months shy of this girl's graduation, no matter what the cause was. And for this to occur, like I said, six months after the incident. I think it's just on the fault of the university for doing it at that timing. I think while no one can ever find out the direct link to why she might have decided to take her own life. It's very shocking to see that letter come out the night before her death. And it is tragic. It's something that really is going to haunt Stanford for a while. And I really wish the best for her family, for everybody involved that knew Katie. It's a tragic thing just to hear a young athlete lose her life, a young woman lose her life. Um, And it's just all around a sad scenario. Um, to try and pivot out of this one, <laughs> which may be a little difficult, we do have some brighter news in the world of Division I sports. This one comes out of a different Ivy League school. Brown University just added their first woman to an active D1 varsity baseball roster. Olivia Pachardo is a freshman utility player. She walked on the Brown baseball team this fall. She is the first woman to make that active roster. She has a long history of playing for the U.S. baseball women nationals team. She played club baseball for the New York Crush. She is a New York native, as that is something big for us here. She played in Queens, New York. And she also, big surprise for me, interned with the New York Mets. She was a big person in there. And you know what? I always love to support a New York Mets fan and a New York Mets supporter. That's my greatest thing. Um, But it's just an all-around feel-good story, and it's incredible to see a woman break into baseball because there is so few that's kind of broken into the sphere, and we're seeing it more and more when we date back to the Vanderbilt kicker, um, a woman breaking into football, now a woman breaking into baseball, and her talent really speaks for herself. Olivia Pachardo just looks phenomenal. Um, especially walking on, she was not recruited. She had to prove her own on her own field. And the coach recognized that. And she, he said that it was the most complete walk-on tryout I've ever seen as a player, um, being a head coach. So high praise for Olivia. It's an absolute honor to watch her play, but what was kind of your initial reactions hearing about this news? 
I mean, I was thrilled because whenever I see a woman win in sports, it's it feels like a win for everybody. You know, like I know that's not the truth and I am not a baseball player, so I can't take any pride. And I mean, I can't do anything. So it's not like I can take any credit for anything. And I'm not trying to. But it feels like a win for everybody just to see a woman win in the way that she is and to be able to say, I'm here. I'm going to be taken seriously. Like even especially because she was a walk on, she wasn't recruited, proving so much in those tryouts um, and now being the first division one NCAA female baseball player. Um, I'm so excited for her. And she I mean, she seems thrilled. And she's also only a freshman, which is huge because I think that that matters a lot to me, seeing someone who is a first year at Brown be able to break through that barrier because now, I mean, how many other women are going to apply to Brown just because they see what she's done or are going to be submitting their tapes, trying to be recruited or trying to walk on next year and the years after, because she's still going to be there. She's still going to be on the team in theory. And so seeing, being able to apply, seeing someone in a position you want to be in, I think is huge. And I, I love this trend of more women breaking into male um, dominated sports, especially baseball, because baseball has been a very traditional conservative sport for a very long time. And so seeing a woman break through onto the biggest collegiate baseball stage, I think is huge. I think it's so cool because I won't lie. I had no idea women's baseball existed. Like when I think of that, I always just think of like softball. And so like when I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, there's a U.S. women's baseball team. That is just so cool to me so I was like so excited to like read about that and like the fact that I really I want to commend the brown baseball coach because him saying like how like impressed he was by her like athleticism and like that she was like the one of the most impressive walk-on tries he's ever seen like that just like goes to show like people are starting to notice that women can play just as well if not better than men like like we deserve to be on that same platform and it's just so exciting to see her like finally like break in like I I don't think I ever really considered seeing like a female baseball player and it's really cool to like actually kind of see it happening like I, I don't know I, I I'm like really excited to like tune into her now yeah it's absolutely incredible and she's um talked about with baseball for all which is a non-profit organization They've worked to put 20 women in baseball uh, at the collegiate level. She is the first to break into D1, but she's looked absolutely incredible for a freshman. She's only um, pitching in like about the low 80s with her fastball, but in what some people could criticize on that to me is only can show through her progress and growth as she gets faster and older. Um, but she has great mixtures of pitches. She can throw an off-speed pitch. Um, she's a utility player, so she can play multiple positions in the field. And it's just amazing to see um, and watch her develop. And on top of that, she's a phenomenal student. She got accepted into multiple other institutions, UNC being one of them, which is not an easy school to get into. And I think it's just impressive to watch a young woman do something like this and to see hopefully the team respond well to her. I haven't heard any like negative press from the team, but I think it'll be really cool to watch her continue to develop even further. Yeah, I heard the team was actually super excited. Like, when she was announced to be, like, she, when they announced that she was on the roster, apparently they, like, erupted into cheers and, like, were so excited, which is so great for me to hear. Like, good for Brown. That's all I got to say. Good for Brown. 
she also, by the way, I just found this out, threw out the first ceremonial first pitch for the Mets on, at Women's Day in City Field in August. So all around, she is just being celebrated by my favorite organization and hopefully by more organizations going down in the future. Um, this is absolutely incredible to watch and just see, and I'm very excited to watch her pitch this season play this season and hopefully she gets some starting time i know that the 2023 spring season for brown will start on february 24th against georgia state so be on the lookout for her going forward in the season but that is going to do it for us here today on all in a woman's sports podcast thank you guys so much for tuning in you can to listen to us on spotify or apple music or wherever else you get your podcasts But we will be back next week with another edition, hopefully to talk about more in the world of women's sports. All In is a production of WFUV Sports.